0: Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell released his legislation to repeal and replace Obamacare on June 22nd, and plans in the next week to bring it to a vote. The measure would dispense with the goal of getting every American health insurance, but would reduce regulation and taxes with the aim of making health care more affordable. I'm Sean Zeller, and this is CQ Roll Call's Week Ahead podcast. I'm joined again this week in our Washington studio, steps from the White House, by Carrie Young. CQ Healthcare reporter. Welcome, Carrie.
1: Hi, good to see you, Sean.
0: So, Carrie, the Republicans in the Senate said they were going to write an entirely new bill after the House passed their measure in May, but that's not what happened, right?
1: No, they they largely used the House bill as a blueprint and made some tweaks to it.
0: Okay, so what are the key elements of the legislation?
1: You know, a a part that really gets somewhat overlooked is that this bill includes with it a, a bid to reshape the financial... Uh, contributions for Medicaid. It's something Republicans have wanted to do really for decades. They've been working on this on and off. It would move from the current more open-ended approach to a system of caps. Um, that, along with halting the Medicaid expansion of the ACA, would deliver about $800 billion in savings over a decade. It's a significant pool of money that then they expect to apply back to taxes.
0: So Carrie, Medicaid, it's the federal and state program Providing health care for the poor, and it's the backbone of Obamacare. The expansion in Obamacare is what led to the big increase in the number of people with health insurance. So, what the Republicans want to do is reverse all of that?
1: Partly. Uh, you you raise an excellent point, Sean. Actually, one lawmaker said that, a Republican lawmaker said it shouldn't be called Obamacare, it should be called Obamacade. We, we spend so much time talking about the, say, roughly 10 million ish people who got new insurance to the, or insurance to the private exchanges, unless attention is paid paid to the group about the same size that were able to enroll in Medicaid through this expansion, which largely lets states enroll working poor people, people who work, who have some employment, maybe cobbling a few jobs together, but don't get insurance.
0: So both of these bills, the House and Senate bills, would phase out the expansion of Medicaid that was part of Obamacare, but they would also cap spending on Medicaid, the old system that just paid for the poor.
1: Absolutely. It's, um, it, both bills, they basically do the same thing. They would remove the financial incentive for states to, to ensure the working poor, to ensure people who earn as much as 138% of the federal poverty level, which is still a, a pretty low income. And then separately, so beyond anything that was addressed in the, the 2010 law and the ACA, they would do this restructuring of the federal contribution to Medicaid.
0: And it would be phased in, so the pain would not be felt immediately, right?
1: That's an an excellent point. It would be be some years down the road, governors would begin to have to make some really tough choices. There has been a lot of talk in Washington in recent weeks about giving the governors more flexibility or letting them be creative. Medicaid is a huge program. I I don't think there's any governor who will tell you that they haven't tried to be very creative and, and done all they could to maintain the costs. It serves almost 70 million Americans. And
0: how do you qualify to be in Medicaid right now? How much do you have to earn?
1: It varies by state, so it's, it's going to be different states have different levels. If By and large, people who are very poor.
0: It's not only the very poor, it's also people with disabilities, some of whom protested outside Mitch McConnell's office after he released the bill. Speaking of Mitch McConnell, let's talk about him. He's leading all of this. He's the... Senate Majority Leader
1: will eliminate costly Obamacare taxes that are passed on to consumers so we can put downward pressure on premiums, expand tax-free health savings accounts and deploy targeted tax credits so we can help defray out-of-pocket costs and shift power from Washington to the states so they have more flexibility to provide more Americans with the kind of affordable insurance options they actually want.
0: He's in his sixth term in the Senate from Kentucky. He's 75 years old. He's married to Elaine Chow. Elaine is his second wife. She's currently the transportation secretary for Donald Trump. Uh, he did not endorse Donald Trump during the campaign. He supported one of his opponents, Rand Paul, the, his fellow senator from Kentucky. He, uh, McConnell was not born in Mc- Kentucky. He's f- born in Alabama, but moved to Kentucky as a child. And he's a career politician. After law school, he worked for a Kentucky senator. Then he worked in the Gerald Ford administration. And he is known as a legislative mastermind. Does he deserve that reputation, Carrie?
1: I guess we'll find out this summer. Uh, If he can pull this off, people will say this would would be one of the... You know, a major accomplishment for advancing a a long-held Republican goal. They have they have wanted for a long time to make this change in Medicaid financing. So, if he can do this without the Senate having held a single hearing this year on it, um, that will be pretty big.
0: Right. It would be his foremost achievement. But he's had some. He he took over as Majority Leader in 2015, and the Senate, uh, the Congress, had a good year that year. They reauthorized the no child left behind law, the education law that had the reauthorization of which had long been delayed. They reached a fix on payments to doctors through the Medicare program, which was a very thorny issue, right, Carrie?
1: It had, it had gone on for, for several years. Congress in the late 90s put in a, a mechanism intended to keep Medicare payments to doctors in check. Um, then when that looked like it was going to actually take a bite, uh, what doctors felt was an excessive bite, they acted about 17 times to stop it before finally getting rid of their old mechanism.
0: And McConnell did it with He financed it with deficit spending, which was an achievement given the conservatives in his caucus who don't like to spend money.
1: Perhaps, although in the end giving money to to well-connected and quite frankly popular groups like doctors, people like doctors by and large, isn't maybe the most difficult thing to
0: do. And his other big achievement that comes to mind is his decision last year not to proceed with the nomination of Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court. That was President Obama's nominee to replace Antonin Scalia. It paid off when Donald Trump won the election, and that allowed McConnell to confirm a conservative to the court, Neil Gorsuch. Okay, but McConnell has had some failures, too. For example, in 2015, he wanted to reauthorize surveillance authorities at the National Security Agency, allowing the agency to collect data on Americans' phone calls to go after terrorists. And a lot of his fellow senators, Republican senators, said no. And they revamped those authorities. And then last year, he pledged to fix the appropriations process, which has long been broken. Congress hasn't been able to pass each of the bills and has ended up at the end of the year in a big rush, pushing through a big omnibus legislation. And McConnell wasn't able to do that. They were left in the same position they have been in years past. So it's a mixed bag, wouldn't you say?
1: Certainly, certainly. Uh, On appropriations, you could argue it's a bipartisan, bicameral lack of discipline to actually just put the bills on the floor and get the work done. But yes, I mean, he's he certainly has had some successes. And as you point out, he's had some difficulties with the conservatives in his own chamber. And th- that will be a key group moving ahead this summer on the health bill, absolutely.
0: Already four of them, four of those conservatives have come out and said they cannot vote for no, his bill.
1: They said they're reviewing it and they can't vote for it now, but they're open for negotiations. We are going to be seeing, uh, you'll be hearing references to Kabuki Theater a lot in the next week. This is a draft bill that's gone out. People will be looking for changes. There's a feeling among people who watch the Senate closely that maybe the bill was written such that certain provisions could be tweaked to allow people to claim credit. There is a lot going on. So. Um, You know, people there's really no advantage to senators to have come out and said, I support this bill and it's great. They're all even Senator Hatch, Senator Senate finance chairman Orrin Hatch issued a statement saying, I'm reviewing the bill and I'm going to look at it.
0: And he's normally one who is willing to compromise and is known as a dealmaker. He
1: is. And, and the bill is partly run through his committee. It's a finance, uh, Senate finance, Senate health, education, labor and pensions bill worked with the through the budget committee, a budget bill with those two parts. So everybody is um, jockeying for position now, let's say.
0: And the big sale on the bill is that it will make health care more affordable. That's what the Republicans say. They say the costs are rising too fast in the individual market, and we have the solution. What's the argument that they have the solution?
1: Well, we'll see when we get the CBO numbers early next week. In the House bill, they, would, they were arguing that younger people will do well. At, you know, we haven't had hearings on this bill. We haven't had a really good look at how this would work or, or how these things, how these changes would affect the private health insurance market.
0: So younger people would benefit why?
1: It would allow the insurers to basically charge older people more than they than right. they can now. And so,
0: right now, the insurers balance out those costs and exactly. overcharge young people.
1: That's that's one of the arguments, yes. Younger people feel they're overcharged, or the insurers feel they're overcharged. So if they could charge—also, to be frank, older people tend to buy insurance more. So if you're, you're trying to convince more people who won't need high payouts of health care to join, you probably want to bring them in on a lower cost
0: while charging older people more. And it would allow states also to drop some of the essential health benefits which are now required under Obamacare, things like maternity care, emergency care, right. prescription drugs. So people could buy plans that don't offer those things, which theoretically would be cheaper.
1: And and theoretically it could be. And, and again, to these are the kind of things where, you know, here at CQ or on the wonky side, it would have been great to have seen a, a, a good hearing of of people really bringing forth these ideas and hashing them out. The the most detailed analysis we really see is from CBO, which is this remarkable work and, and research. But um, we'd have liked to see maybe a, a bigger discussion of these major right, changes. Right, the Congressional
0: Budget Office, which Absolutely. is the nonpartisan agency which yes. determines what legislation will do.
1: To be frank, there's been a lot of um, very dismissive talk about CBO in recent weeks and recent months from Republicans, sort of uh, a lot of people think of it as a blame the referee kind of, kind of talk on this.
0: Um, the other issue out there in terms of affordability is these high-risk pools, mm-hmm. right, that states would be allowed to set up uh, special insurance programs for people with pre-existing conditions and take them out of the system.
1: Right. It's definitely an idea that's been tried in several states. Already they're a lot of the opponents of this idea are quick to bring up the point that you need to fund those pools very generously, or you wind up with a, a situation where you have your sickest people competing for limited resources through a pool.
0: And what's the argument against the idea that the Republican solution would bring down costs?
1: I guess we're seeing, you know, overall, we look at the CBO score, seeing a, a number of people, the last one on the health care bill, we see a number of people just leaving the insurance market unable to afford it. And, and again, too, I... I Maybe harping on this point, but you know, with a lot of this and reporting on it, just reporting on it, never mind being asked to vote on a bill, it, we haven't seen a full discussion. We've seen Republicans meeting among themselves in the Senate without, without a hearing, without you know, bringing the best advocates for these views and and let the public know.
0: So less people in the system. That means if they get sick, they get in an ambulance. They go to the emergency room. They can't pay their bills. Those costs filter through the whole system and drive up costs.
1: You know that that is certainly something that could happen. That's certainly how this could play out. And 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 once again, this is the kind of thing for which those of us who have been covering Congress for a while would you know it's the kind of thing where you could have two panels of experts and bring in the people who know this and you know let's have a good discussion about where this goes.
0: You mentioned about the conservatives and their concerns of, on McConnell's bill. But there's another side of it: the senators from states that expanded Medicaid, mm. um, like in Nevada, where Dean Heller is up for re-election, right. or Ohio, where Rob Portman is getting an earful from his fellow Republican governor, John Kasich. Right? Yes. So, yes. what are the? Uh, where are they on this?
1: It's interesting. We're all in Washington. Um, anyone who's covering health care or following this, we're all wondering how Senator McConnell gets to 50 on his bill. And, and so much of that will be, f- you know, writing a bill that can keep the moderates while pleasing these conservatives. One of the things that may actually make a difference for people wanting to see the bill derailed may not be so much the, the anger from Democrats, um, who this week, to be frank, had a setback in not winning that Georgia seat, but the the continued objections raised. That was raised. a special
0: election in the Georgia six district to fill uh, Tom Price's seat. Tom Price, who went on to be Health and Human Services Secretary. Absolutely.
1: And that, again, is something that could have um, changed the the tone of the argument a bit, but with that loss, the Democrats don't have the clout to bring in on that. Seeing a moderate like John Kasich, who was not only the Ohio governor, but is, is a former member of the House who actually was part of a, a uh, one of the bipartisan budget deals in the 1990s. Budget chairman. budget chairman. Who he So when he speaks, when he tweets and he sends out statements urging a bipartisan deal on health care, it's certainly a, a very credible voice.
0: And another issue that could potentially threaten votes is abortion. What's in the bill on abortion?
1: So there is special language written. It doesn't come out and say Planned Parenthood can't get the money. You have to actually realize that that's the entity they mean. But they would take out money for medicaid for about a year. It's unclear whether this provision stays in due to the very special budget rules surrounding this. It's unclear whether this is part of a bigger negotiating position.
0: Right. Planned Parenthood is the women's healthcare provider that offers abortion services and at and, least and two senators healthcare. have at least two senators have said they won't vo- vote for a bill that cuts Funding for Planned Parenthood, Lisa Murkowski, the Republican of Alaska, and Susan Collins, the Republican of Maine.
1: People are expecting a lot of changes to this, though we'll see a lot of jockeying. We'll see a lot of um, perhaps revisions that get changed to to allow an advocate for a position to be able to say, I changed the bill.
0: And where are we in this process? If if this does pass the Senate, it doesn't mean it's a law yet, right?
1: No, it doesn't mean it's a law. If it passes the Senate uh, this week, which it could could do. I mean, that would be, as, as we opened, discussing about that, would be a tough feat for Senator McConnell to thread the needle and get those 50 votes. But I don't think anyone who really knows Washington well is ruling that out. The next step will be um, likely what they call a conference committee. So they will, among the Republicans, um, try and pull together a version that can get through another vote in the House and the Senate.
0: An identical version.
1: Yes, an identical version for both chambers.
0: Right. And then it would go to President Trump.
1: Yes, it would. And he, um, he's been interesting in this. He's been out, uh, as we know, he reportedly told a, uh, senators that the House bill was mean. He's been asking now that the Senate bill have heart. Uh, so we'll see when we get the CBO score next week uh, where President Trump is on this. Will he uh, remain highly supportive of his Senate partner, Mitch McConnell? through this debate.
0: So, Carrie, what are Democrats doing?
1: You know, they're doing a lot. They are uh, rallying. They are protesting. They are making a lot of points about how closed this process has been. Uh, Republicans like to come back and point out that the final decisions on the 2010 law were done in closed doors. But I don't think there's any question that there was a lot more openness in that process, which a point Democrats are repeatedly saying. They're trying to get people in the swing states to contact the the senators. If you look at uh, places like West Virginia, where they had a Medicaid expansion, that's actually been helpful in dealing with the very terrible opioid crisis.
0: I've been hearing the Democrats say that health care is one-sixth of our economy, Mm -hmm. and that revamping it in this way, with no hearings, with the bill developed behind closed doors, sets a very bad precedent for the way legislation is created. Is that having any effect?
1: You know, we'll, we'll see if the Democrats' arguments have effect, but this has certainly been uh, a very different bill to watch unfold. First of all, it, it has been written in, in closed meetings by one party behind closed doors. There haven't been hearings, which, again... Medicaid is a program that touches 70 million lives. It's huge. So the idea of, of, of not stopping and at least bring in some experts, bring in Republican experts, Democrats nonpartisan and have a discussion, there's been a very panicky feel to this whole bill. And it's it's a self-imposed deadline that the Republicans have set. This isn't something like the debt limit, which will hit soon, where there's sort of a hard deadline and they have to get something done in order for Treasury to continue payments or appropriations, where even though they know every year the fiscal year starts October 1st, they manage to make that a mad dash and panic. There There is no hard and fast deadline here. There's been a lot of uh, talk about needing to save Obamacare and the struggles in the market. The issue there are what they call these cost reduction subsidies. It's, it's a technical term, but it's basically money that's in the middle of a legal dispute uh, between Republicans and the Obama administration. The Trump administration inherited it. They could very easily keep paying those w- without passing this bill. This, the, the push, the real press to pass this bill is self-imposed, and, and the idea seems to be to keep momentum to get it done. This bill is fascinating in a lot of ways. It, it does make major revisions to the 2010 health law, but it's it's far from a repeal. We hear a lot about it as a repeal and replace bill. It's the, Much of the, the 2010 law continues on. But the part of it that doesn't get as much attention is this bid to redo the the federal funding of Medicaid, a decision that would slow the growth rate significantly and, and thus leave governors, as you point out, Sean, a few years down the road with terrible decisions about, which of our poor citizens will we help get health care, and and how much can we offer them? Those are are real-life decisions that won't have to be made by the people who vote for this bill. They'll be made by governors and states, you know, some years down the road.
0: So next week, Obamacare is in peril, and the vote in the Senate will decide its future. Thanks, Carrie, for coming on.
1: Thanks, Sean. Great Great to talk with you.
0: I'm Sean Zeller, and I thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One.